Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Mandela. We are sitting in the shade in Missoula, Montana. It has just sprinkled a little bit on us. It's a very warm July day. There is smoke in the air, and we hope that the rain comes back. When I say we, I'm talking about my guest this afternoon. Her name is Zoe Mavis, and she is a ski instructor in Big Sky, Montana, and a river guide in Missoula, Montana. She's also a member of the PSIAAASI, the Professional Ski Instructors of America, American Association of Snowboard Instructors National Team. Zoe, I just want to say thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today on The Trail Less Traveled. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to interview for a long time, and I'm so grateful we were able to get on the Alberton Gorge this weekend, and you said yes to meeting me for an interview. Absolutely. You know, always happy to make a connection and come chat with a friend. And tell us about who's sitting at your feet right here, right now. (laughs) Uh, We have an almost 12-year-old black lab named Cooper. He's just my sweet old man. He has been with me for his entire life. I picked him up in college. As I tell all the people I know that it was probably one of the silliest decisions I made getting a dog at that point in my life, but one I would never change for the world. So he's been a pretty great constant companion for all the adventures that I've have partaken in, especially in my Montana life. Beautiful. He is a handsome boy. I'm glad he's here with us. Zoe, my first question for you is, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? I was born and raised in a town called Boulder, Colorado. For those who don't know Boulder's reputation, it has a reputation of being very outdoorsy. Some people call it crunchy. Um, If some people know, that refers to kind of the granola aspect of the hippie world for sure. But very outdoorsy. A lot of people who like to get outside, adventure. And so I was fortunate enough that my parents moved to Boulder in the 70s. My father was a professional runner, and so they moved to Boulder for his career, essentially. And, you know, they ended up kind of settling there and and starting a family. And so I was able to grow up in an environment that definitely focused on the outdoors and playing outside and adventuring. Having parents who were athletes growing up, I was also surrounded by a lot of friends who were athletes or kids of athletes as well. So a lot of runners and cyclists and climbers and and whatnot in that community. So I kind of just from a young age, I don't know if it wasn't really a choice, but just got immersed into the outdoors. We did a lot of camping and mountain biking and skiing and whatnot growing up. We were definitely the family that would, you know, pack a PB and J in your pocket for the ski lift also definitely the family to go try to find like a campsite that isn't on the beaten path Um, my dad was very very much a fan of getting out into the woods maybe beyond where some other people were almost to detriment a little bit to paint a picture of like how much he kind of went to that extent 
we were doing a camping week at some point. We went actually down to Utah. We're kind of going through like Arches, Zion, that area. And we were in my mom's company minivan. So not like the most adventurous vehicle. And my dad decided that he didn't want to camp in like one of the traditional campgrounds that we had been doing. And so we went up this like logging road, maybe, I think, potentially in the, I want to say the O'Brien mountain range, something like that. I was really little, but I have a distinct memory, a very narrow logging road in the company minivan. And we come across this group of maybe like an outward bound type of group, you know, kind of like some teenagers in the woods with some counselors out there not meaning to see anybody. And here comes this family in a minivan rolling up and they're like, you shouldn't be this far out. You should turn around, yada, yada. And of course my dad was like, no, we're fine. We went going up the road a little ways and it was summertime, but we got stuck in a snowdrift. So that kind of tells you how far out we were, you know, for those of you who know the mountains and that sort of stuff. If you're finding snow in the summertime, it means you've gone a ways. And so we got the company minivan stuck in a snowdrift. Of course, we didn't have any tools to, to work with that. And so we ended up camping the night on the dirt road. And in the morning, my dad had to shovel the minivan out with like the pots and pans that we had in our camping kit. Of course, as a kid, like I think of it, I was like, no, not, not a big deal. As an adult now, I look back to that. and I was like, that must have been a really stressful scenario. But it didn't feel that out of the norm for me as a kid. And I think that's like a great example of, you know, just the fact that we were always kind of out camping and in the woods and doing things outdoors. And that was just ingrained into me. And so I think I then sought that out in my life and what I wanted to do. We skied or mountain biked or went to the lake or did all these things outside every weekend. I never remember doing anything that didn't have to do with the outdoors as a family activity. And so as an adult now, it feels very natural to just seek, seek out those experiences. You're on the trail as traveled. The Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. We are sitting in Montana this afternoon with Zoe Mavis. She's a ski instructor in Big Sky and a river guide based out of Missoula. She's also a member of the Professional Ski Instructors of America, American Association of Snowboard Instructors national team, with a focus in Alpine. Zoe, I would like to ask you about that epiphany that you had in your childhood where you grew this passion, this love for water, be it frozen or liquid. Yeah, gosh, my passion for water, be it frozen or liquid definitely started at a very young age. Once again, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a place that had access to a lot of amazing outdoor activities. Now looking back, I I see how much privilege that allotted me, right, to have to have access to those things. My mom grew up skiing actually. So, my grandfather I think is the catalyst to the skiing in the family. My mom grew up in Michigan of all places to be a skier, but her parents were both doctors and would bring the family up to Boyne Mountain just about every weekend. And they actually got to know all of the ski instructors up there, became pretty good friends with them. And so my grandfather was, and my grandmother for that matter, were both very immersed in the ski industry at the time. And I think built a love for skiing into into my mom and her sisters. And so 
when my parents moved out west to Colorado, my mom knew for sure that that she wanted to ski and she wanted her kids to ski. And my dad quickly kind of picked it up and found a love for the sport as well. And so from a very young age, probably even before I was on skis, I was actually in a backpack on my dad's back on skis, which now looking back to his skiing ability at the time, maybe wasn't the smartest idea, but we're all here. We're all alive. And then I think I got on skis when I was about two years old. So they were the typical parents who put me in a diaper and lied about my age and put me into ski lessons, <laughs> which now if anybody's a ski instructor, know that parents do that all the time. Um, and so, yeah, so I grew up at a little mountain called Eldora. It's just up Boulder Canyon. And they have a really wonderful locals program. And when I was growing up, I had a ski instructor for my locals program. And I believe her name was Pam. My mom would remember a little better. But what I do remember is she had a pretty profound impact on me and the fact that I, I love the sport now. When I was growing up and in those lessons, I just remember having the best time. And I think I was with her multiple seasons. And, you know, you go every weekend with the same group. And so I think that had a pretty big impact on me loving the sport and wanting to stay in the sport. And then I moved into racing. Racing was kind of my main extracurricular through school. And I then also had a coach at Eldora named Krista Crabtree. Fantastic name, right? And she still teaches there. I think she must have been pretty young at the time. I think she was probably like in her 20s and that was maybe one of her first coaching gigs. But me and my best friend were in a group with her and that was the first time having kind of seeing the world of coaching as something you could do when you grew up, right? Obviously when you're little, you have coaches and teachers and whatnot, but that was the first time I was like, oh, like somebody decided to do this and come and coach us and do that. And so that experience with her was really fun. I think we had her for like a year or two as a coach and, and it was definitely impactful. And so having some of those like really positive experiences with someone teaching and coaching me made, you know, that helps enhance the love for the sport, right? If, if you don't have those positive interactions, it's harder to become as invested. I ended up moving up to Montana in 07. I went to MSU in Bozeman and I raced on the club team my freshman year because I wasn't quite ready to let racing go, even though like, you know, I was at the point where I knew I wasn't good enough to go anywhere with it, but I wasn't quite ready to let go of it. And so that was a fun year. And I met a close friend, Hannah, and we just had, you know, like a great time traveling around and doing stuff. And she actually ended up becoming a ski instructor at Big Sky. And the next year I was, you know, still in school at MSU and Bridger Bowl was the local mountain and I wanted to continue skiing and I wanted a free ski pass. And so I decided, hey, like, why don't I try teaching? Because it could be a great way to, you know, stay skiing and all that sort of stuff. And so I applied. I still remember my interview to kind of talking to the director there about what I could bring to the team. And, and I was really excited to get hired on and I worked weekends there while I was in school. And it was at Bridger that I got introduced to this whole world of ski instruction that I would say the majority of people have no idea about. So within like the ski instruction world, there's the association, there's PSAA, AASI. And so that's like 
I'd say the governing body of ski instructors. It's an association that educates instructors. It certifies instructors, helps guide instructors. And so as I kind of learned about PSA, I was able to start getting certified as an instructor. Within my discipline of Alpine, there's different levels that you can do. So we have level one, two, and three, different requirements to achieve each level. And so then, of course, the competitive person in me was like, oh, great. First off, like, let me try and get these levels. And then as I started kind of going through the certification process, I realized like how beneficial and amazing it was to get the education to improve my skiing and teaching skills, also my interpersonal skills. And it made me such a better instructor. And it helped me build clientele, helped me give back to the ski school in a big way. And so that's kind of like what inspired me then to move further into that world with the association and I ended up making a move up to Big Sky where I taught full-time started teaching full-time and that's where I kind of started to become a trainer I'd been you know fully certified at that point and I wanted to be able to turn around and help other people on their journey and so I became a trainer at Big Sky that's where I moved through the process of becoming a clinician and an examiner for the association for our division is the Northern Rocky Mountain Division. So I became an examiner for that division, which means I train and certify instructors in Montana, parts of Wyoming, North and South Dakota. And so that was really cool being able to lead those certifications to help instructors, you know, meet those certifications and kind of work towards some goals. And also to see instructors start to like learn and grow. You know, I kind of figured out in those years that training people, teaching people was very much what I was passionate about. And to be able to do that in a sport that was so near and dear to my heart felt like a perfect combination for me. And it was kind of really just through that process of wanting to be a trainer, wanting to, you know, help instructors and that sort of stuff that I started to set my sights on the national team. The Trail Less Traveled podcast and international outreach programs are made possible by the support from listeners such as yourself. For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon can offer you a subscription-style payment method in the amount of your choice in exchange for priority access to the Trail Less Traveled visual series, exclusive content, behind-the-scenes footage, and ad-free podcasting. Please consider helping keep my fiscal raft afloat by visiting patreon.com slash trail less traveled. We are sitting in the shade on a very warm, smoky summer afternoon here in Missoula, and I'm sitting with Zoe Mavis. Zoe is a ski instructor in Big Sky and a river guide based out of Missoula, Montana. She's a member of the Professional Ski Instructors of America, American Association of Snowboard Instructors national team. Zoe, I would love to talk to you about the national team. Yeah, so, you know, like I kind of mentioned earlier, this whole PSIA world is pretty foreign to a lot of folks. The national team is part of the association, It's a group of individuals that are selected to help continue to drive the association to serve the membership, right? 
That's the main goal, serve the instructors that are members and seeking out education and support. And so national team members can do a lot of different things. They can travel around and give clinics, help train instructors and trainers at local mountains. They can also create educational materials, such as the manuals that we use for our certification. They can create content such as videos and articles also to help the members understand better what is expected of them in a certification or something to help them achieve a goal with their guests. And so when I kind of first started thinking about the national team and training towards that, it was really just focusing more on what I am doing to better serve the membership, right? What am I doing to help be a better trainer, better educator, and better provide more for those who need support as instructors. The process to become a national team member is a little different than the process of certification or becoming an examiner for the division. The national team is a usually a four-year term, and so they select a new team every four years. This year was a little different because of COVID, so tryouts were actually supposed to happen in 2020, and they were postponed because of the pandemic. And so... I am actually on a three-year term. And the reason they just changed it to three years is because the terms also coincide with an event called Interski. And Interski is a really awesome event where essentially the national teams from all over the world get together. So you get instructors from all over the world who get together and share their ideas and their educational philosophies. And the best part is everybody also does a synchronized skiing act. And so each country gets to showcase their version of skiing mm-hmm. for the world in in this sync skiing pass, which is just phenomenal. Seeing some of the best, most technically sound skiers in the world ski together. It's super cool. Super cool. That's kind of the term. And so the process of being selected for the national team is you have to at first apply, like put in an application for it. And there's, you have to be certified to a certain level and have some accreditations and different things. Also your division needs to select you as well. Mm -hmm. So I went through a divisional selection process so that I could be endorsed by my division. And then once you are invited to the selection process, the selection process usually happens at the end of the season, generally in April. And it's about a week long. And it includes like on snow activities, off snow activities, such as, you know, short presentations, interviews, that sort of thing. Everything to see if you'd be prepared to to do the job. And I've actually been kind of working towards that goal for a really long time now. I put in an application for the 2016 team tryout and I actually was not selected to go to tryouts. And so then I had to wait another four years to put in another application and then a year through COVID. So it's been kind of a long road training for that team, which is really cool. And yeah, just super humbling to be selected and now to be able to serve the membership in that way. You're on the trail less traveled, the trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. And we're very local today. We're sitting in the shade in Missoula on a warm summer evening with Zoe Mavis. She is a ski instructor in Big Sky 
and a river guide based in Missoula. She's a member of the Professional Ski Instructors of America, American Association of Snowboard Instructors national team. Zoe, I would love to dive deep into education philosophy. I love it. What a good prompt. Education philosophy. What's really awesome about the association and the tools that it has provided in the past and the direction it's going in the future is the biggest focus is on education, right? We as a body are educators first. We are teaching people to ski. We're not just pro skiers, we're pro ski instructors. And so the focus is always on how can we help our clients better understand and utilize the information that we give them. And so we have developed this certification process so that we can give members, instructors, tools to share that information with different clients, right? So a great example is there's usually a level one, two, and three certification within a discipline. The level one certification generally covers teaching people through the beginner zone, right? So all the tools that you would need to be able to teach a beginner skier, snowboarder. Level two is usually through the intermediate zone and level three is through the advanced zone. So as a level three instructor, you should be able to to teach just about anybody on the hill. And so you can imagine, right, there's a lot of ski technique that goes into it. So there's that technical piece for sure, very important to know. But then those teaching skills concepts are a very large piece of being able to impart the information. It doesn't help if we know what the ski is doing, if we can't explain it, right? And then kind of the third piece of that is actually the people skills part as well. You know, even if we know what the ski is doing and we know how to explain it, we can't actually uh, get somebody to do it unless they trust us, unless we have a relationship with them and they're willing to try what we're asking them to do. And so within PSA, those are kind of our, our governing skills that we work off of. We work off of technical skills, teaching skills, people skills, and we base all of our education around those kind of three points. And we're actually in a process right now of aligning our national standards so that they are easy to use, clear and concise. And we're really fortunate to be doing that. We're pairing with Penn State. Dr. Pete Allison is a professor there and he is helping the association to create some clear learning outcomes for our processes so that members can understand what's expected of them more and learn in a way that they can take the information and utilize it for their guests. And within that process, as we are collaborating with Penn State, the end result of some of that will mean that there will be a degree that you can get through the school in ski instruction which I think is really exciting. They have already kind of gone through that process on the golf instruction side. So they've partnered with PGA. I mean, you can go through Penn State for that degree. And so now we're kind of utilizing that scaffolding to be able to build a program for the ski instruction world. And what's been a really wonderful piece of that is the fact that our standards are being solidified that you know we've always had these national standards now we're able to make them clearer and more concise and be able to present them to our instructor membership 
in a way that's very helpful to them. And so that's been really wonderful being able to work with Dr. Allison and, and Penn State because it's driving a better product for the membership and then for their clients. That's been a big, long process. So you talk about, you know, education and how we want to make it easy for people to understand, right? We want to make it so that people have access to it and we want to make it so that it's consistent across the board. And so we as an association are working really hard to do that so that instructors all over the country can make sure that they have the same information and the same tools and the same support so that they can go out and teach the best lesson. Zoe, can you reflect a little bit on patience? Because to be a teacher requires patience. Absolutely. Patience is something that we can take for granted sometimes and seem not to find at others. <laughs> something that actually my process through the association, through PSA and kind of getting certified and working on my own skiing and whatnot, I have found that I've become more patient because I've started to be able to look at other people and potentially some reasons why they exhibit certain behaviors, right? Especially, great example, right? We teach a lot of kids how to ski. It's a young kids, it's a great age to learn. It's a great sport to put small children into. At the same time, a three and a four year old, right? Could probably require a bit of patience. And one of the tools that we use for teaching instructors how to navigate the world of children's instruction is we use this model called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. At the very bottom of this pyramid is just kind of like their physical needs, right? Water, food, to be warm, all that sort of stuff. And then as it travels up, you get safety and security, then belonging, and then, you know, continues to travel up and you bring that patience piece into it. And when you're dealing with a three or four year old who is screaming and clearly just having the hardest time, it's really easy to get frustrated and to want to give up. But if you have the tools to kind of dig a little deeper and say, well, you know, maybe what is going on here? What could be the cause for some of this behavior? It allows you to take that moment and potentially adjust something that could reach a better outcome, right? And so I think the best way to build your patience is to build your understanding. Right? The more we understand those around us and potentially what their needs are, the more willing we're going to be to have patience for them and, and their learning process. Hello there, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. I want to thank our premier sponsors for The Trail Less Traveled, New West Knife Works and The Mountain Man Toy Shop handmade knives and tools forged in their factory on the western slope of the Tetons in Victor, Idaho. New West Knife Works makes knives like they cook, using the best ingredients and preparing them with patient hands of an artist. Their aim is to bring more joy to everyday chores by making tools that are as beautiful as they are useful. See for yourself by visiting newwestknifeworks.com. Use promo code MANDELA for 10% off your entire purchase, which will not only set you up with a knife that you will pass down for generations, this also supports the Trail Less Traveled podcast and international outreach programs. Visit newwestknifeworks.com using promo code M-A-N-D-E-L-A. 
Today, the trail has traveled is being recorded in the shade on a very warm, smoky summer afternoon here in Missoula. And I'm sitting here with Zoe Mavis. She's a ski instructor in Big Sky and a river guide based in Missoula. She's a member of the Professional Ski Instructors of America, American Association of Snowboard Instructors National Team. We're 45 minutes into this interview. I'm still reading this piece of paper so that I can get that name right. (laughs) But, you know, that's a major part of what you're doing right now, Zoe, but you are also an incredibly talented boat woman. You recently got off the Grand Canyon. You guide for Zootown Surfers. I just got off the river with you recently. It's beautiful to watch you boat. And so I'd like to talk to you about water in its liquid form. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, skiing has always been such a big part of my life for the extension of my life, right? Since I was young and whitewater, I really didn't start getting into until about 10 years ago or so. When I was in college, I was looking for a summer job and a friend of mine worked at a company called Montana Whitewater and they're based kind of between Bozeman and Big Sky. This friend of mine was the zipline manager there for the zipline course. And they're like, hey, like, you should come work for us. It's a great job. And so I actually ended up becoming a zipline guide for a raft company. They did, you know, ziplining, rafting, horseback riding, the whole adventure thing. And within the process of working there as a zipline guide, I started getting on the river with some of the raft guides, like some of their fun boats, some of their checkoff runs, that sort of stuff. And quickly realized that it was an amazing place to be, was on the water. I always grew up on, you know, lakes and and that sort of stuff, but the river was pretty new to me at that point. And so I was a passenger in a boat for a long time. I kind of took every opportunity I could to get out on the water and be a paddler, be the best paddler I could so people would invite me out. And then I met my partner, Austin, and he is an avid river runner in all forms and through him, I was able to, you know, do a lot more traveling and, and get on a lot more rivers, which was really special. And I kind of started to decide that maybe it was something that I wanted to be able to try and, and learn and figure out a little bit for myself. The turning point for me when I realized that, hey, maybe maybe I could run rivers on my own. This woman, Molly, who lives down the street from us, uh, she and her husband were out on the Locksaw River, kind of world-class class four run. And we were out there, you know, for fun as well. I was in Austin's boat and she was rowing a 16 foot cat down the Locksaw. And she's a small, petite woman. And I remember just watching her and just, you know, thinking like, wow, like that's so cool. And maybe thinking that I could potentially do that too. So I started, you know, looking at figuring out a boat that I could get. I ended up getting a cataract, and that's actually ended up what I rode down the Grand Canyon, which was really cool, and started guiding when I came over to Missoula about five years ago on the Clark Fork River and kind of started to learn that process of it. And it was really helpful to have some of the experience as a ski instructor because, you know, guiding, a big part of it is helping to, like, interact with people and coach some folks on the river. And then just continuing to build my love and my growth in that industry and and on the water right it's it's such a fluid fluid thing and and learning it has been really really rewarding I would say it's been a really rewarding experience and you know like I said before skiing has been a part of my life for a lot longer but I would say whitewater has quickly become as equally important to me and I would say I'm as equally passionate about, about getting on rivers 
And that's been really special to find yet another passion that I can put my time and effort and energy into and get so much out of. The community is really special as well. And, you know, I've always loved my ski world and and my friends there. But I will say I've never experienced anything like the river community anywhere else in my life. And, you know, it's just like this really special moment that even if you don't know somebody on the river, you're linked, right? There's There's a special bond when you're on the river with somebody and this looking out for each other and, and this really sense of community that's that's just super special. And I think that's a big part of why, you know, I also have kind of fallen in love with that world is not just the water aspect, which is really amazing, but the community as well. Zoe, I just want to say thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today on The Trail Has Traveled. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. And thanks, Cooper. <laughs> Let's end your program with three bits of advice that you can share with the listener. If I had three bits of advice, (laughs) first and foremost, I would say never stop learning, right? There's always something to be learned from a situation or from those around you. Even if somebody doesn't have as much experience as you, they probably can teach you something. So learning is a state of mind. So, and it's usually an open state of mind. So be aware and be willing to learn from a situation. My next piece of advice is humility is a very important aspect to growth, something that I'm constantly striving for. It's hard to admit when we have challenges or or things that have, have taken us back, but if we can start to accept some of our faults or things we wanna work on, that allows us to grow and be better. So humility is always necessary for positive growth. And my last piece of advice would be probably always um, wear sunscreen or have some sort of sun protection. I have learned, right, being outdoors, even, even on the ski hill or wherever I'm at, that if I can protect myself from the wonderful sun that we enjoy being in, I'll be able to enjoy it for many years to come. So put on some sunscreen, wear a long sleeve shirt. It's never too late to start protecting your skin. Namaste, Missoula, and my friends around the world. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Zoe Mavis. Zoe is a ski instructor in Big Sky as well as a river guide based out of Missoula, Montana. Stream the Trail Less Traveled every Sunday evening from 6 to 7 Mountain Time at trail1033.com. The show is also a podcast available on all platforms, including Pandora, Spotify, and Amazon. You can check out the official website. It's really quite groovy, traillesstraveled.net. And if you missed the premiere of the show and you want to hear the full-length version, which is ad-free and includes the music, become a supporter on Patreon. The podcast and international outreach programs are 100% supported by Patreon. You can learn more by visiting patreon.com slash traillesstraveled. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded on location around the world or here in Missoula at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. 
I definitely want to give a big shout out to all of the sponsors and the Trail 1033 for giving the trail has traveled a home on the radio waves here in Missoula. If you have an idea for the show or someone you would like to interview, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. The best way to reach out is by visiting traillesstraveled.net. My adventure tip this week is regarding survival. My number one tip in terms of survival is master your attitude. A survival situation is not the time to panic. You are more likely to survive a difficult situation if you focus on maintaining a positive, proactive attitude. Develop a plan, inventory the resources you have, identify the critical tasks required for survival, like water, shelter, and warmth. Muster your determination. It's often grit that separates a survivor from a non-survivor. And recognize feelings are not facts. You may feel hopeless, but keep your thoughts focused on the tasks that need to be accomplished. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, get outside, do something for Mother Earth, and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the thing about the gnar is it does not shred itself. I'm going to close the show this evening with a very rare recording of Ernest Shackleton from 1909. Shackleton's British Antarctic Expedition of 1907 to 1909, also known as the Nimrod Expedition, took him and his crew nearly to the South Pole, setting a record for the longest southern polar expedition to that date. Or to describe the achievement in Shackleton's own words... We reached a point within 97 geographical miles of the South Pole. The only thing that stopped us from reaching the actual point was the lack of 50 pounds of food. It's a little hard to understand, so I recommend that you turn it up and sit back for a little time travel to Shackleton's British Antarctic Expedition in a recording from 1909. party of the British Antarctic Expedition left New Zealand on the 1st of January 1908. We landed at Cape Royd in the Antarctic under the great volcano Mount Erebus at the beginning of February. On the 3rd of March, a party ascended that mountain encountering severe blizzards, and for the first time in human history, the great mountain Erebus, 13,350 feet high, was ascended by men. The southern journey started from Cape Royd on the uh, 28th of October, 1908, and on January the 9th of this year, 1909, the British flag was hoisted in latitude 88.23 south and longitude 162 east. We retraced our steps over crevasses through soft snow, encountering blizzards, 
till eventually on the 1st of March of 1909 we arrived at winter quarters, having uh, covered 1,708 miles on the journey. The northern magnetic or the southern magnetic pole was reached on the 16th of January by three men. They were 122 days out and uh, they did a journey of 1,260 miles. Thus, the northern magnetic pole and the southern magnetic pole are flying, have the British flag flying over them. And there are many things that I have not time now to go into. The scientific results are important, but uh, in connection with this, it was by the fact that I had these 14 men, Armitage, Brocklehurst, Mackay, Mackintosh, Priestley, David, Adams, Wilde, Joyce, Marston, Marshall, Morton, Roberts, Day, and Murray, those 14 men who were my comrades, who, regardless of self, denied themselves in every possible way to promote the success of the expedition. And it has been through them that we have achieved the me measure of success that uh, the country seems to think we have done. And uh, these men, uh, I can only say, speaking here now, that they have been loyal to the very core throughout the trying times we've gone through. And now, like myself, they long to go again. They want to, they feel the wild calling them and the silent weight of the frozen south. And they want to be on the lone trail, the trail that the Canadian poet speaks about when he says that the trail of the world be countless and most of the trails be tried. You tread on the heels of the many till you come where the ways divide. And one lies safe in the sunlight, and the other is dreary and wan. Yet you look at slant on the lone trail, yet the lone trail lures you on. And somehow you're sick of the highway with its noise and its easy need. And you long for the risk of the byway, and you reck not where it leads. And sometimes it leads to an Arctic trail, where the snows and your torn feet freeze. And you whittle away the useless clay and crawl on your hands and knees. Sometimes it leads to the dead pit, always it leads to pain. By the bones of your brothers you know it's for those who follow your fame. By their bones you will, by your bones they will follow after till the ways of the world be made tame.